Today, we're going to talk about joining First Baptist Church. Now, that's not a subject you hear, you hear talked about a lot, but we're going to talk about it today, and I'm going to explain the different ways a person can join our church and talk mostly about some of the reasons that it's important to be an active participant in a local congregation. But I want to be clear about something as I, as I begin. Joining a church does not make anybody a Christian. Nobody goes to heaven because they belong to any particular church or denomination. doesn't make you a follower of Christ. Just as being baptized does not mean your sins are forgiven, does not mean you're a follower of Christ, does not mean you're going to heaven. Yet it is important that every follower of Christ be publicly baptized to identify with him. And it's important that every follower of Jesus be engaged, be connected to, be a part of a local body of believers for a lot of reasons. And we're going to talk about some of that today. In fact, a faithful follower of Christ will be engaged with, will be a part of, will be connected to a local congregation. So I want to pray for you right now real quickly, and then I'm going to get into this. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as Will just prayed, I know he is here But I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will speak to hearts and to minds all over this room. And people who are thinking about things, who are struggling with things, who are seeking answers, I pray that you will touch them, move among them, and help them in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read the New Testament, you're going to quickly discover there are several words, analogies, images, word pictures, if you will, that are used to describe the church of Jesus Christ. Some of those are phrases like the temple of God. The church is also referred to as the heavenly Jerusalem. One very prominent analogy for the church in the Bible is the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body. Another reference to the church in the New Testament is we're called a royal priesthood. And there are several. But the one I want to focus on this morning is one of my favorites, and it's this, that the church of Jesus Christ is his bride. There are numerous places in the scriptures where we are referred to as the bride of Christ. And I just want to count there for a few minutes and talk about that image. And to begin, if you would, look at the screen. I want you to see these words from the book of Revelation. He says, let us rejoice and be glad. Be happy, be excited, have joy. Notice what he says, and give glory to him. Give glory to God. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. In chapter 19 of Revelation, the Bible is talking about that day in the future when Jesus will come again. People are raised from the dead. And we who are his followers receive that new resurrected glorified body. And even though we have intimacy with Christ now, we have fellowship with Christ now, our experience then will be different than it is now. It will be superior to the now. It will be so much better than the now. Because at the second coming, when we're raised from the dead and we see him face to face, all of his people together in his home, in his heavenly home, in our heavenly home, the Bible uses this word picture of a marriage to describe that day. And he says, when we as his children gather with him following the resurrection at the second coming in heaven, it's going to be like a wedding. There's going to be a feast. He said, there's going to be a marriage supper. There's going to be a party. There's going to be a celebration. And we, in the meantime, are to give him glory. In the meantime, we're to be excited. We're to be happy and have all of this gladness and joy because that's going to be an incredible day. I mean, just think about how people are so happy 
and so excited and so filled with love on wedding days. And the Bible says that's what it's going to be like when you, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, stand before Jesus following the resurrection at the second coming. It's going to be an incredible time. But notice the next verse. He says, it was given to her to his bride, and by the way, who's the bride? It's us, the church. It was given to her, to us, to his children, to the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. He said you're going to be dressed in your absolute best. In fact, in the book of Romans, the Bible says that when Jesus stands before the universe in all of his glory on that particular day, All of us who are his followers are going to stand with him and his glory is just going to spill out all over us and we will share in it. So think about that image. It's a wedding day. It's a beautiful day. It's a glorious day. It's a happy day. And he says you're going to be standing there looking your absolute best in fine linen. Now notice what the fine linen is. It's your righteous deeds. It's the good things you do. It's the service you render that makes a difference in other people's lives. It's the moral choices you make that bring honor to God. It's your righteous living, your moral living, your good choices, your Christ-likeness, your godliness. He said on that day you're going to bring honor to him. And when you stand there, listen, when you stand with him on that day, your clothing will be perfectly clean. There will be no stain. There will be no spots because you will stand there absolutely sinless in absolute perfection and absolute righteousness and absolute holiness because when he raises you from the dead and he gives you that new glorified resurrected body that is similar to the resurrected body of Jesus that is a body that will never get sick a body that will never grow old a body that will never hurt a body that will never die, a body that will never know sin, never be touched by sin, never be hurt by sin, and never be guilty of committing sin. A glorious, beautiful day. Something to look forward to. It's like, you know, when people get married, you know, you get engaged, and you you start planning, right? You start planning the wedding day. And guys tend to go to one place and pick out a tux. That's not how the ladies do it, is it? They tend to go to more than one place and look at more than one dress till they find that one. There's even a TV show about hunting dresses, right? One thing I learned, ladies, from watching two or three episodes of that show, don't take a bunch of other women with you when you go to look for your wedding dress. Too many opinions in the room. Don't do that. Just go get what you like. But I want to show you a photograph. This is Jacqueline and her husband, Evan, on their wedding day. And, and you know, I'm partial as a dad, but I loved her dress, and I thought it was perfect for her. It looked so beautiful in it. And, ladies, that's what you do. You go out and you say, that's the one. And when you find it, you buy it, and you wear it proudly, and you, and, and you look good in it. And the Bible says that's how you're going to look on your wedding day with your king with Jesus Christ. You're going to be standing there clothed in your absolute best. And, and by the way, Jacqueline and her family are with us over here today. And thank you so much for being pray, be praying for them. But, but Jesus is saying that your future is like, a, it's, it's like a wedding. And so imagine, there's a day coming when you're going to stand as the bride of Christ. You as a follower of Christ, as a part of his family, you are part of the bride. 
And, and you're going to be standing there dressed in that perfection, dressed in that beauty, dressed in that fine linen, dressed in all of that righteousness. But what about now? What about today? Because when I look in the mirror of my life, I see some stains, don't you? When I examine my life, it's not perfection and it's not all holiness and it's, it's not all righteousness. But, so what about now? See, the Bible teaches that the moment you commit your life to Jesus Christ and you're forgiven and you become a follower of Christ, you have this day out here in the future when you're going to have perfection following the resurrection that you're looking forward to. But between now and then, do you know what you're supposed to do? Move in that direction. You're not to stay where you were, looking like you looked when you got saved. You're to, you're to make yourself prettier every day. You're, you're to clean some of those stains off every day. You're, you're, you're to lose weight every day, so to speak. You're, you're to get in better shape every day. You're to become more righteous and more holy and more godly and more Christ-like and more faithful and more obedient Day after day, month after month, year after year, as you move from the point of salvation to that day when you see Christ, you're not going to reach perfection until that day, but you're not to stay where you are. You are to be growing. You are to be coming more like Christ. You are to be changing. And the Bible calls that sanctification. You belong to Christ, and as time passes, you begin looking more and more and more like him as a member of his body, of his family, as part of the bride of Christ. Because as the bride of Christ, listen, brothers and sisters, as the bride of Christ, you want to look your absolute best. And that's where the local church comes in. Because for you to look your best to grow and become more Christ-like, there are things that God is going to do in your life through your engagement, connection with, participation in, and service in a local church that will not and cannot happen any other way. And so I want you to look at another passage in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Where, where Paul takes this image, this analogy of the bride of Christ, because so many times, listen, People apply that analogy to the universal church and they talk about all the Christians of all the ages and none of it applies to a local church. And it's not true because biblically it applies to both. It applies to both. It's, it's, it's like the body analogy. The church is the body and all the members Make up the body. You know, my body has fingers and eyes and toes and nose and hand and feet and teeth and everything else. And this church is one body made up of many members. It's the same thing with the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ, but you're part of it. And the local church is an expression, a visible, tangible expression of that bride of Christ in that community among those people at that moment in history. And so everything the New Testament teaches applies to the universal church. It applies to the local church. It applies to us individually as followers of Christ. But notice what Paul says here in chapter 11, verse 2. He said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you, or your Bible may say promised you, to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. 
Now Paul is taking this analogy of the church being the bride of Christ and and in Revelation, yeah, he's talking about all the believers and what's going to happen at the second coming. But in this passage, that's not what he's talking about. Not by itself. Paul is writing this verse to a local church. Not to the church universal, but to a local church. To the church in the city of Corinth. Do you understand that 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are two letters Paul wrote to the church in that city? So Paul is speaking to this local church, and he says to this local church, I have a godly jealousy for you. I love you. There's emotion involved. I care about the people in that church, that one local church. It was the church Paul founded. He started that church in the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. He was their pastor for 18 months as he planted that church. And he said, I have all these emotions for you, a godly jealousy. I love you and I I care about you. And he said, here's what happened. When I came to that town and I planted that church and you became believers and you created that little church, just like Jamie was talking about, Oikos Church in Birmingham, England, a new church plant, that's what Corinth was. And he said, I planted you, I betrothed you. And when, when you got saved, what happened was I betrothed you to one husband. I promised you, engaged you to one person, Jesus Christ, so that I could present you to him. And here's, now get this, now get this. Engagement today in America is very different than engagement in first century Jerusalem and Judea. 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, when you became engaged, when you were betrothed, that's what it means, it was a legal act that was binding just like marriage. In fact, when you became engaged, when you became betrothed to one another, you could only end the engagement by a legal divorce. It's not like today, well, we're we're engaged, but then you change your mind and it's just over. It's not like that. It was a legal matter. And it would take a legal divorce to end the betrothal, to end the engagement. In fact... When you became engaged, you were already considered married. You were already considered husband and wife. The only difference was you had not yet had the formal wedding and consummated the marriage. But you were considered married. You just didn't have all the benefits yet. You know what he's saying? When you become a believer... When you become part of a local body of believers, you're engaged and it's legally binding. You are committed to Jesus. You're sold out to him as your Lord and Savior. You're his bride. He's your husband. You haven't consummated yet. You know when that's going to happen? At the second coming when you get the full benefit of being the bride. Because on that day I get the new body. On that day sin goes totally away. On that day I get the new house. On that day I get the new address. But all of it's guaranteed to me today because I'm legally his. Brothers and sisters, that's what happened to you when you gave your heart to Christ. You're already part of his bride. You've just got more of the benefits of it to look forward to at the second coming when you see him after the resurrection. And Paul says, you've got to see yourself that way. You've got to understand that you're not just a Christian. You're you're part of the family of God. You're you're part of the bride of Christ. And when you're engaged, you want to be a good bride. 
I want to show you a picture from several years ago of me and Monisa. She aged a lot better than I did. I guess you would call that our engagement picture. That's the one she was explaining to me this morning. You know, guys, we don't know all this stuff. She was explaining to me that that's the one that was in the paper announcing our engagement all those years ago in that weekly newspaper back, back home. But see, when you, when you get engaged and you commit yourself to somebody, guess what? There's love, right? If there's not love, you have no business getting engaged. When you get engaged, not only is there love, but there's commitment. The world may not understand that, but followers of Jesus Christ get it. There's commitment. When, when, when you get engaged, you put that engagement ring on her finger. What's the first thing a girl does when she gets that, that engagement ring? Here it is, right? Look at it, right? Everybody, let me see it. You don't put your hand in your pocket and walk around hiding it, letting nobody know that you're engaged, that there's, letting no one know you're in love, letting no one know you're committed to each other, you're proud of it, you brag about it, you talk about it. And, and guys, there's something new. To, I'm, I just learned recently that when young couples get engaged today, there's an engagement party. I didn't know that. Another meal. Another meal. Okay, and there's an engagement party today. Because you're just going to announce it to everybody. I'm engaged. We're in love. We're promised to each other. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You're engaged to him. The best is yet to come, but you're already promised to him, and he's promised to you, and he says be proud of it. Show it off. Don't be ashamed of it. You're part of the bride. Act like you're part of the bride. Don't live your life as a Christian with half-hearted commitment, being faithful sometimes and None other times. Get out there and announce it to the world. This is who I am. He's my betrothed. He's my husband. He's my king. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Because you are part of the bride. And what he says here, that is true of the local church, not just the universal church. I want to say something because I know none of you think this or you probably wouldn't be here. But there are some people who think the local church doesn't matter. That everything the Bible talks about when it talks about the church is referring to the universal church. But brothers and sisters, that's, that's inaccurate. Do you know that the overwhelming majority of your New Testament was written to local churches? I said a moment ago, 1st and 2nd Corinthians written to local churches, a local church in the city of Corinth. Romans was written to the local church in the city of Rome. Ephesians was written to the local church in the city of Ephesus. Colossians was written to the local church in the city of Colossae. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians written to the local church in the city of Thessalonica. Do you get the picture? And the books that were written to individuals were written to leaders and pastors of local churches. Practically everything that is taught in the New Testament that you and I are supposed to do, God uses the local church to bring it to pass in our life. The Bible talks about church discipline. You can't practice church discipline without a local church. 
The Bible says, as a pastor, I am accountable to God for what happens in the flock I pastor. Well, how can I be accountable to God for the universal church over which I have no influence and no authority? I'm accountable to God as a pastor for what happens in the local church where he's planted me. The Bible talks about so many things we are to do. Those are done in and through the local church. So the concept that the local church doesn't matter, it's just the universal church is an unbiblical concept. Because this local church is an expression, a physical, tangible expression of the universal church, of the bride of Christ. Just like you individually are a member of the body of a local church because when that's written in Corinthians, it's written to a local church. And so I know none of you struggle with that, but I just want to put that out there, that the local church in the New Testament matters. In the book of Acts, when they were saved, they were baptized, and the Bible says, and they were at, they counted them. When they had to make a decision about how they were going to feed the widows in the book of Acts, it was the local church that came up with the plan to do it. When God sent out the very first missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, it was the local church in the city of Antioch that did it. You can't organize the universal church. This is the local tangible expression of it that does the work of God in this world for his kingdom's sake. And so local churches are critical to the cause of Christ. Now, having said that, I want to kind of give you in shotgun fashion just real fast, okay? Some of the reasons that that we as disciples need to be plugged into and connected with a local church, okay? The local church is the visible expression of the universal church. Your connection to, your belonging to, your supporting, being part of, being connected and tied to a local church is a physical, tangible expression of your commitment to Jesus Christ and his people. You know, when, when Monisa and I got married back in 1982, we exchanged rings. Couples you still do that, okay? Been doing that for a long time. What, what, is, what, what is that ring? It's a picture of commitment, is it not? Because when we got married, that's what we said we were doing. We were, we were making a commitment, and this ring is a symbol of that commitment. But that's not the only thing. Do you know when we got married in 1982 in Kentucky, there was actually a marriage license that was completed and legally filed with a local court and is still on record there as a legal document as evidence of our marriage? Y'all did, you do know that, right? By the way, when you got married, the same thing happened? It's a legal document, a tangible expression of commitment. Monisa and I, uh, we share a home together, a house together. We just survive remodeling the kitchen. If you can survive remodeling the kitchen, you can survive anything in marriage. But that's a tangible expression of the fact that we are in a husband-wife relationship, is it not? What is the tangible, physical expression that you are part of the bride of Christ? It's when you are connected to the local body of believers that gives evidence of that. You can't give evidence of it to something ambiguous and universal. That's only done locally, so it's that expression of commitment. And here's the thing. You and I live in a culture that is very low commitment. But Christians are about high commitment. And when you commit yourself, you're saying, you can count on me. Because until you commit yourself, the church can't necessarily count on you. 
So it's an expression of commitment. A second reason is it identifies you as a member of the team. Now I want you to notice something. On purpose today, I'm wearing one of my uh, Kentucky Wildcat ties. I've got about 10 of these, and I'm wearing this on purpose because that's my team. I don't apologize for it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. That's my team, win or lose. That's my team. You ever know that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you all in on a secret, okay? Some of you don't know this, but I'm going to give you a secret. I'm going to let you in on a secret. How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today? All right. Do you know when you turn on the television and watch the Super Bowl tonight, all of the players on the Carolina Panthers are going to be wearing the same uniform? Do you know? Do you know? They're, all, they're all going to look alike, just a different number. Some bigger and slimmer. Same uniform. Right? It's not like the Pro Bowl where they're wearing different. Oh, same uniform. Because that's how sports works. You're on that team. You wear the uniform of that team. You say, I'm on the team. And I'm wearing the uniform of the team. Denver Broncos are going to be wearing a totally different uniform. going to look different, different color. Right? And when you're part of the family of God and you connect yourself to the local bride, connect yourself to a local church, you're, you're saying, I'm on the team. I'm not, I'm not just up in the stands watching. I'm not just a spectator. I'm not just an observer, but I'm on the team. Another reason that we need to be connected to the local church is it says, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve because not only am I on the team, I'm going to do everything I can to help the team win. I'm going to do everything I can to help the team get better. I'm going to work on my skills and I'm going to contribute everything I can to help the team be the best team it can be. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be involved. I'm not just going to observe, but I'm going to help consistently and faithfully. But here's an even bigger reason to be connected to a local church. It's in the local church where caring for one another and bearing each other's burdens actually takes place. In Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says, look at that. It says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, Jesus said, is the law to love God with all your heart and love other people. And why is being part of the church important to that? It's because you do that when you are connected to people. You're not going to know that someone else has a burden that you need to help them carry if you're not connected to them. If you don't know them and they don't know you and you don't hang out together, it's through those relationships, those connections that people are able to bear one another's burdens. And, 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 and that's where the church comes in. I mean, Jacqueline and her family have been living in Italy for the past few years, but because this was her church, she grew up here and she's our daughter and there's connections and relationships. Y'all been ministering to her. She got a prayer shawl this week from our cancer ministry group in the church. They've done hundreds of those over the years. And when people know you, then they can know something's going on in your life and they can be there to help you carry that burden. And, and, and by the way, when people know you and you have a problem, you have a burden, they can help you carry it. You can help them carry theirs. You, you can't help them and they can't help you if you've isolated yourself. You've not connected. You've not plugged in. You've not belonged. You're not in a relationship. You see, that's hard to happen just sitting in this chair during worship. 
This is important because of challenge and inspiration and so on. But you don't get to know people sitting in those seats. They don't get to know you. That happens when you're in a smaller venue where you can talk to people and and get to know one another and love one another and and help each other. And, And by the way, that's another reason. If you're not going to Sunday school, you need to get into a Sunday school class where you can know people and they can know you and you can be there to show love for one another and help each other. It just increases how much that happens in your life. And sometimes as a pastor, I've heard people complain the church didn't do this and the church didn't do that. And I talked to them about what their engagement was and they were always on the fringe. They isolated themselves and so people didn't know them. People didn't have a relationship with them. And then they wonder why the, the support didn't happen. You've got to connect that's your responsibility as a, a part of the bride of Christ to say, I'm, I'm part of his bride, and I'm not running from it. I'm running to it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to cling to. Act like his bride. Be part of the family and allow God to use you and to allow God to let others help you. But here's the last reason you need to be connected to the church. The local church is the crucible where God produces real growth and change of character in us. See, spiritual growth is not just about how much Bible you can quote. We we all know people who can quote Bible. They read the Bible. They can, you know, all of that stuff. But yet, in relationships, they just don't know how to treat people. Don't know how to get along with people. We, we need to grow in, 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 in our Bible knowledge, but we also need to grow in our relationship skills and in our character and how we, how we deal with people. And I want to say to you that God uses relationships to take his word about our moral values and apply it to our interactions with others in a way that produces growth. I, I just turned 58 years old. And I'm not the same person I was when I was 38 And when I was 38, I wasn't the same person I was when I was 18. And if God allows me to live to be 78, I pray I'm not the same person at 78 that I am today because we're to grow and change, right? That happens in the crucible of relationships and in two relationships more than any other. You know what those are? You become a better you through your marriage and through your connection to a local church. Now, I want you to notice 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Everybody reads at weddings. Love is patient and kind and doesn't keep a record of wrongs, all of that. All of those apply to what? Relationships. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, what God's trying to produce in my life and in your life, peace and gentleness. All about relationships, how we deal with people. Well, here's the thing. You know what God's going to do? You say, I do to that woman You say, I do to that man, and you become husband and wife, and through the give and take of those relationships as a follower of Christ, God starts smoothing out the rough edges. You begin to realize, you know, I'm a little bit impatient in that area. (laughs) My mouth is a little bit too forward. (laughs) I need to learn how to talk a little bit nicer. You begin to learn what it means to forgive and let go of things, right? Because if you don't allow God, through the give and take of your marriage relationship, to smooth off those rough edges, and by the way, we've all got them, if you don't allow God to smooth them off through the give and take of your relationship, your relationship won't last. Because the only way to stay in a good, healthy relationship is to get smoother with every passing year. Is that not true? 
And so God uses marriage and your relationship with your kids and your siblings. If you're a follower of Christ and you're applying his word to your life, he uses that to make you a more patient person, a kinder person, a more gentle person, a more forgiving person, a more tolerant person, a more understanding person, right? But also at church, same thing. Because it's not easy to be in relationships. And when you bring a whole Sunday school class or a whole church in, it gets even harder. Because, listen, if you've been around here a long time, some of you, I've probably done something along the way that irritated you a little bit. Some of you have done some things that irritated me a little bit. But you don't become a better you. I don't become a better me if every time something irritates us, we run off. That's not growth. Growth happens when you allow God to cause you to look in a mirror and say, God, make me smoother. Make me a prettier bride. Make me a kinder, more gentler, a a more loving part of your bride. Grow me, God. And I want to say to you, it's in the intimacy of connections and relationships at home and at the church that you become a better you and if you're always isolating yourself by running away you're not going to become a better you you're just going to pretty much stay the same you and nobody wants that let God make your dress even prettier than it is now so to speak so that's the sermon on why I think you need to be connected to church what I want to do now is talk to you real quickly as I wrap this up about how to join the church Three ways to join the church. You see transfer of letter? That means you are right now a member of a Baptist church somewhere else, somewhere else in the city, somewhere else in our state. And you want to join this Baptist church. And so you're transferring your membership. That's what transfer of letter is. And uh, it's just a transaction that happens between the two churches. So you move your membership from one Baptist church to this Baptist church. That's transfer of letter. Number two, statement of faith and previous baptism. You have to be a Christian already to join a church. You have to already accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay? Commit your life to Him. Statement of faith in previous baptism means I have accepted Jesus. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. And I was baptized after I became a Christian. Not before. I've been baptized since, after I personally believed in Christ, and it was by immersion. But I'm not a member of a Baptist church right now. Maybe you were in the past or not, doesn't matter, but right now you're not. You're a member of a Nazarene church, a Pentecostal church, a Methodist church, a Catholic church, Presbyterian church, whatever. But you have a relationship with Jesus. You were baptized after you committed your life to Christ. It was by immersion. You joined this church on your statement of those things, your statement that you've accepted Christ, that you have been baptized, it was by immersion, and it was after you were saved. We will still communicate with the church where your membership is right now, back and forth so they can update their records and so on, but it's your statement. Number three, baptism applies to different people. Baptism would apply to people who are new Christians. You just recently accepted Christ, but you've not since you accepted Jesus been baptized to give testimony to your relationship with Christ. You would join our church through believer's baptism, so you would check baptism. Let's say you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, whatever, but you never were baptized after that. So you're not a new Christian. You've been a Christian for a while, but you've not had baptism as a Christian you would still join by baptism. The third group that baptism would apply to are those who were baptized as an infant or a very young child and they weren't aware of it. 
They were baptized by sprinkling or pouring as a kid. But later in life, they committed their life to Jesus because we believe you have to make a personal decision for yourself to be a follower of Christ. And that in the New Testament, baptism is for those who've already accepted Christ. And it's by immersion. You would join by baptism. We had a man come to our first service this morning who came publicly and joined our church that way. Father, I know there are people here right now who are thinking about doing this, and I just pray you would give them clarity of thought and peace of mind and heart and uh, just a sense of your purpose for their life. And we thank you, Father, for those who are joining our church, not just because they will become members, but because they will become servants and grow, and we ask that you help us help them.